Hello, young, gifted Black and female followers, and welcome to episode seven, Blackish. Today I have with me Shanta Whitaker and Tanya Bridges, and we're going to talk through what it's like being a powerful, young, gifted, and Black woman in predominantly white spaces. As usual, I'm going to start us with some saging just to kind of set the tone and bring our ancestors into the space. And because we're talking about young, gifted Black females, I want to bring my maternal grandmothers, my maternal and paternal grandmothers back into the space because they are definitely my inspiration for everything that I do. And it's because of them that I am. And that'll be the affirmation for today. I am because we are. So I'm going to say my grandmother's names, Estella Moore Ward and Gladys Harper Odom. And if you ladies have an ancestor that you would like to bring into the space, please feel free. Oh, you know, I'm definitely bringing Gladys into it. I like to bring my mother into it, Sharon Thomas. All right. Our affirmation for today, as I said, is an affirmation from before. I am because we are. And I'm just honoring those women who came before us, who enabled us to be able to be on the journeys that we're on today. And what I like to discuss with you ladies today is just what it's like to be in a predominantly white, predominantly white male workspace and how you navigate those things. So my first question that I wanna bring up to you ladies is how do you feel and adjust just being in this white male dominated workspace or field? And if you could tell us a little bit about what you do and your workspace and how you've adjusted over time in that space. Sure, I'll, I'll jump in. I started off my career as an attorney and practiced law for about 11, 12 years, then moved over to business development. Business development is very executive heavy. I'm facing a lot of executives. I'm dealing with our large partners and a lot of negotiation and a lot of exposure throughout the whole company. Very like coming over to legal to the BD side and both legal as well as BD are very heavy white male dominant. And so I've always had to deal with this. I think what's helped me is that I grew up in Seattle, Washington. So I grew up around a lot of diversity. Kind of knew how to deal with people with all different backgrounds. Working in the male dominant one that I found is that, you know, I, I had to immediately, when I first come in, I'm just quiet. I just need to listen to what's going on. And everyone usually reveals themselves to you at some point in time through their actions or their words. And then once you're able to kind of get a lay of the land, then it's, you need to hurry up and establish yourself. Let people know that you're there. Also let people know that you are capable and you're there for a reason, then you need to let your work speak for yourself. So doing those three things in um, a white male dominant, you know, workspace has, has helped me in my career so far. I am, so I feel like for me, um, my work environment has been predominantly white for and white male probably or for a long time i am a scientist by training so i initially spent the first half of my career in the lab biology has a tendency to be more women weirdly than men but still predominantly white then once i decided to switch my careers to move more towards health policy um, I now find myself in a predominantly, I mean, it's, it's a 
it's it's a probably a 50-50. So in some spaces, in some jobs I've held where it's been predominantly male in leadership, my current position um, is predominantly female, but white um, in leadership. A lot of the folks that are up the same leadership level in the company, I'm a vice president, are, you know, white males. However, um, I think for me, um, especially being new into the space that I work in, um, as well as having a unique background to other people that work at my firm, I, um, I'm i like the only academic, the person who's academically trained. I'm the only one who has a PhD in my job. That combined with also not being the traditional politico that's usually associated with a job like mine. I did the same thing that you mentioned, Tanya. I was quiet initially. I observed, you know, who would be good to make allies, who would be good to work with. And I, you know, just learned. I learned how the you got to have a good sense of the company culture, regardless of where you are. Um, you have to have a good sense of, you know, who are the bad eggs at the company. You have to have a good sense of who are the allies at the company. Um, and you have to take the time to get to know all of them. And I think for the three years that I've now been at this firm, um, I've found ways to work with my colleagues in a way that shows my value and what I bring to the table, as well as acknowledging theirs, like the values that they bring to the table. And if I ever find myself in a position where I feel like my values question, then I address that person on an individual level. I don't make a big fuss of it in front of everyone, but I will have conversations with, you know, my colleagues if I feel like they're being slightly disrespectful. And I think I've been able to develop a good working relationship with them and they respect me um, and what I bring to the table. Thank you um, both for sharing that. Now you both mentioned the observing piece. Shanta, if you could talk to me a little bit more about just the field of science, because I mean, I've spoke about this on previous episodes. I talked about women in STEM. I was a biology major undergrad and I spent some time doing research and I realized this isn't the field for me because mm -hmm. I just, it's too cold, it's too sterile. And it just, I think it was the lack of comfort with the it just being a white male dominated situation how did you kind of establish the relationship establish yourself and establish your credibility in these spaces and I'd like to hear from both of you on that just how do you establish your credibility and you mentioned you know talking to people on an individual level if someone ever questions you know your ability but how do you establish your credibility after doing that listening piece among these majority leaders in the space of course, um, science, um, and I think it kind of made me very white and black. Um, science is very brutal, I will say. Um, so, and when I was, I'm in micro, I'm a microbiologist by training. Um, I did nothing but study infectious disease and vaccine development. When I was operating as a graduate student, I mean, I had my education tested because um, I went to an Ivy League for my PhD, but I went to a historically black college for my undergraduate. And so I got those questions of, oh, wow, you know, I didn't realize, you know, HBCUs could, you know, you know, provide that same level of education as a predominantly white school. And I'm like, obviously they did because I'm sitting here at the table with you, right? So I would have those, like people did not understand where I went to undergrad because it wasn't, you know, a majority institution or it wasn't Howard or Morehouse or Spelman, um, which seemingly for some reason a lot of white folks know about those schools and a lot of the medical students at Yale had came from Morehouse and Spelman so they didn't know Virginia Union University so I'm having to explain my education. However, I think 
just my performance, you know, I just kept, you know, I, I performed, I worked my butt off while I was at graduate school. I worked my butt off when I was every quarter, we would have to give these um, things called research in progress, where you talked about your PhD research in progress and they were brutal. I mean, across the board, that's for everyone, not just for black folks, but for everyone, men, women, and they would just tear your research apart and me being able to handle myself in that space, I think honestly prepared me for the corporate world because no one's as brutal as they were like they were you know so i see things very white and black what i work in now is very gray so a lot of the criticism i get is usually that i don't see in the gray i see things as either being right or wrong i don't see any kind of in between having to learn the language of my new space i find it i find it i mean i just find it interesting i think i think honestly just because i was hazed in the science world i kind of was prepared to deal with the corporate world because nothing honestly could be worse than science. But again, science to me though was, it's good, it is cold, but in a way it's fun just because if you do really well in the lab, I mean, they're not gonna question you. I mean, your data speaks for yourself. So there's no kind of way for a person to say you're not as good, but if you're producing good data, you're publishing, no one questions your ability. And for me, that was just a good way to navigate science. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for pointing it out. And also thank you for your work with um, just infectious diseases on behalf of, you know, our communities. Tanya, I don't know if you heard the question, but I just wanted you to talk about how you establish your uh, credibility among, you know, the majority leaders in the space as a young gifted black woman. For me, I have to work, unlike science, which I do appreciate is black and white, you know, in law, is a gradient, you know, we deal with all different shades. And it's just how you decide to, you know, influence, navigate, you know, push for your certain thing that you're looking for. So you have an array of personalities, you have to think that of what's in the gray, what's white, what's black, and you get challenged, you get challenged. So the way that I established myself was two things. One, is I met every challenge where it was. And then two, I let my work speak for myself. You know, the, the first, you know, the two ones that stand out to me of being challenged or, or just, you know, people trying to manipulate. I just joined a company. I'm working internally at in-house counsel. And, you know, the first thing I get there and I land a huge contract with one of our BD teams. And I'm doing that my work is speaking for itself. And then I have a colleague, another attorney that wants to come into my office and close the door. And he's like, look, I gotta tell you the lay of the land. I know you're, you're new here. I just wanna let you know, you know, be careful of those people you're working with. They can stab you in your back. You know, they are not to be trusted. You know, I would not try to work with them at all if I were you. And I was like, okay, well, you know, again, listen. I don't, you know, get involved. I just listen to what he has to say and fine thanks i appreciate that i continue working with the group that i am love my group that i'm with and flourish and start doing more projects and then come to find out that same person who came into my office to close the door and to tell me the lay of the land and to like put me on and to tell me to go the other direction was sitting there trying to behind my back get the clients that i had he wanted the, the contracts that i wanted he wanted to work on what I was working. He wanted to work with the group that I was working with, but he was trying to tell me 
don't do anything with them. So, you know, I always had people not trying to encourage me or push me in the direction that I need to go. And then you have just blatant microaggressive, also just behind your back attacks. So I had one senior attorney that went to the head of my team and told them that they weren't sure my legal drafting was up to par and that I was meeting the client's needs of the way that I was drafting. And the way that I was drafting, I know that my work speaks for itself and I knew what I was doing. So of course, that person didn't want to say it directly to me because they knew it wasn't true, but they went and spoke to the head of my department. The head of my department didn't want to speak to me. So they went back to my direct manager and told my direct manager. And my direct manager now is like second person's like telephone and it gets to me. And they're like, well, you know, we just need to really concern about your drafting and, and your work ethic and what you're doing. And I'm just like, well, can you tell me what? Can you give me examples? Where, what, when? And he was like, oh, you know, that's a good, those are good questions. I was like, first of all, as my manager, why were you asking those questions when someone comes to speak to somebody about your team? So then he goes back and his telephone again to the head of the department, back to the senior executive, that not senior person on my team that was talking about it. And then they come back and they're like, oh, well, there was this one section that, you know, you wrote that wasn't really solid. And I was like, oh, the section that she wrote that I just took from another agreement and put into this agreement, you mean that section? And they're like, oh, oh. And then they're like, well, we're not quite sure what she's talking about. So again, like I said, I meet challenges where they're, you know, where they are. So I just go directly to that person and I'm just like, if you have a problem with me or my writing or anything like that, you can tell it directly to me. And of course, they automatically back down. Oh, no, no, I wasn't saying that your, your drafting was bad. I, I, I think you're very, you're very good at your drafting. I just think that, you know, um, maybe you might need some mentorship and I'm just so busy, I don't have time to mentor you. Now it's gone from, oh, my drafting is bad, I'm not a good attorney, to now it's just like, oh, I need some mentoring. And then I had to tell them, I was like, you know what, you're right, I do need mentoring. I'm new to this company, I don't know the technology, I'm drafting in the dark. So it would have been nice for you guys to give me mentorship, like you gave mentorships to the other attorneys that came in here that I did not receive. And then she's like, oh, well, you know, that's it. I just think you need mentoring. I think you're doing a great job, but okay, fine, I digress go to the head of department. I just want to let you know, I talked to ABC directly and she says, my drafting is just fine. I need mentoring. And then the head of my department's like, oh, well, yeah, you know, I'm gonna look into getting you some mentoring. I was like, okay, fine. So then I went to another department to a woman who is a boss. And I was just like, can you mentor me? And she was like, absolutely. Went back to the head of my department. Oh, never mind. ABC is going to go ahead and mentor me. You don't have to look into that anymore. And of course, that person's like, oh, oh, well, you know, you could always look to me for mentoring. Well, no, that's not what you said when I came in before. You said you won't look into it. So I don't need it. I have someone else to come mentor me. Then go back to the lady that was trying to assassinate me and be like, oh, and let you know that ABC. AKA boss, oh, she's mentoring me now. Drastic change in all of a sudden. And I just found that having to go through that whole telephone thing and questioning and everyone just like cloak and dagger, just having to go directly to the source 
and eliminate it and then go around to all the different fires and put those out. So that quickly established that one, I won't be tested. Not only will I not be tested, that if you have something, you come to me and talk to me and I will address it directly. You don't have to go to three, four other people before you talk to me about that one. So establishing myself that I'm not gonna back down from a fight or from a challenge. And I will do it not in a way that's going to be confrontational, but just direct and to the point and to handle and address it really helped. And then once I've done that, sitting back and letting my work speak for itself, you know, closing deal after deal, having a particular department or client come back and say, no, I want Tanya to work on this agreement again for me spoke volume. So then afterwards of establishing myself as somebody who can do good work and also establishing myself as somebody who is direct upfront and not to be tested helps start moving me along onto the path that I was going for. So establishing your credibility among your peers and you gave us some solid points on how to do it, which I jotted down because I'm going to wrap them all up in a nice little bow at the end of the episode. And you both mentioned just being questioned sometimes or being being challenged. And Shanta, you mentioned that, you know, in science is a little bit less challenging to, you know, present your data because your data is going to always back you up and support you in science because it it just is what it is. Like there is no question of those things. So I do want to shift us to, to what do you credit your success and movement up your corporate ladder or breaking into new ventures? What would you say brought on that success and to whom, or what would you give the credit? I would say that it's been a combination of things, especially since I'm a career changer and, you know, left the lab, I have had to network a lot. I think, especially here in DC, as you know, I feel like a lot of times you have to, you network. I've used all, I pulled out all stops. Like I pulled out, you know, the sorority card. I pulled out my other organization card. I pulled out the, you know, the colleges card, like alumni from there, alumni from my graduate institution, especially the Ivy League, especially when I went back to school, I got a master's of public health. That network is very strong here in DC. I'm just talking to people about what I've been interested in and um, trying to help myself figure out how to bridge my interest in science and public health to a new career, what I couldn't define. Um, Just talking to people and friends and networks have helped me um, as far as moving into my current position. But then, I mean, just overall being a hard worker, you know, finding those allies at companies that I worked at, you know, picking their brain about how I can improve myself or is there a way that, you know, is it possible that I'm presenting myself in a way that's not, you know, like I said, I think very black and white. So sometimes that's not the best thing to do. And then in my current position, I think, again, it's being hardworking, using those, you know, working with the management team, being, you know, keeping my, you know, just working hard, working with colleagues, and then bringing in my own business. So I most recently brought in my own client, uh, which again is to management team, to our leadership is very important. And it's not expected at someone at my level, but because I did, that also makes me look good at our firm. I think I credit my success to to four things. One is 
Howard University. I was in communication class and they always said, be ready to rise to the occasion, you know, to always be ready. So that was just like beaten into me. So always being prepared, always ready to be called upon and to rise to the occasion. And moving into my career, there were three things that really helped. And that was finding good mentors, finding good sponsors, and finding my voice. Those three things together really helped power me forward. Knowing the difference between a sponsor and a mentor was really important. You know, mentors are the people that you come to and they help you get better at your craft, teach you ways of, you know, things that you didn't help you find paths where there's no path or clear confusion or to sharpen your skills. And then the key was finding the right sponsors and the sponsors are the ones that you need to be able to say your name in groups and in organizations and in behind closed doors where you're not present to speak on your behalf and to promote you and to speak and sponsor for you was really key for me. And then knowing my voice, trying to get my voice, it took a while to try to get my voice, but with the right mentors, I was able to find my voice and to establish my voice. So those were the ones that really helped me move in my career. One of my favorite things that my one of my mentors helped me was that every time I felt like I was invisible or people weren't listening to me, she gave me ways to speak up so that people could hear me. And one that always works continuously is that I'm always in a room and I find that I tell people a great idea. I'm like, hey, I think we should do X, Y, and Z. And someone, and everyone's like, oh no, I don't think that's gonna work. You know, it's too much, blah, blah, blah. But then another person, not black, not female, speaks up and says the exact same thing, but maybe a little twist and says, oh, you know what? Maybe we should do Y, X, and Z. And everyone's like, oh, that's a great idea. This is what we need to do. And I used to feel so defeated. My mentor just told me, go in there and you tell them when he thinks so you do that. You know what? Thanks, Bob, for agreeing with my idea. That was, that was great. Thank you for coming on board and take back the conversation. That helped a lot. And that was just an example of how finding my voice really helped and benefited me because it helped also establish myself amongst people. Mentorships to get over like issues like that are just so important. And to have the people in, you know, behind the doors as sponsors to speak your name will do you know, wonders for you. So those are the things that I credit my, my success and also just always being ready and prepared to rise to the occasion. Thank you. Um, so you both mentioned um, mentors and just networking. Like that's super important as you're going up the career ladder. And I'll definitely bring that back to one other question. But I do want to, if you've had any experiences with just blatant uh, racism or adversity or microaggressions, if you could give us an example of that and how you navigated through that in your space in a professional way that, you know, kept your reputation intact. How do you deal with that um, in your workspace? I think the two examples that I gave earlier, you know, one, one person telling me that my going to other leaders and saying that my work wasn't up to par, but having to snuff that out was latent. I think, I don't know if it was racism or if it was just adversity or whatever you want to call it, but that was a good 
example for me. And then also just being in a room and not being, having my voice heard and having to figure out how to make my voice heard and, and move the conversation back to the direction in which I was leading it. So those are, those are my two. I always find that funny. I mean, like the, the first instance I gave you was when I was at, um, so I went to Yale for my PhD and the, I was in a room. So we would have um, these like world renowned speakers come in our field talk like once a month and they would invite the graduate students to have lunch with them um, ahead of the, their talk. And I made the mistake one day of being the first one there. And I was just talking to the guy and he was so shocked that, you know, he was asking me like where I went to school. And then when I told him, he made that comment about historically black colleges not being as good as other schools. And I had to just let him know that's not the case. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) And um, after that, um, I think since then, it's been more so microaggression things, like especially um, now that, I mean, I wear my hair both straight um, and, and then also in its curly state, but especially when I wear it in this curly state, it's always, oh, you know, how do you get your hair like that? Or, you know, just comments about the my appearance. I'm also a very tall um, Black woman, so I'm about 5'10", almost. So, and then to be, you know, I think just to mess with people sometimes, I wear heels on top of that. And then <laughs> I think sometimes it's like I get the, and then I'm also an introvert and I'm a thinker. So a lot of times I'll get the, you know, you should smile more. You should, you know, present yourself, um, you know, because it always looks like you're angry. And I'm like, no, it's not the case at all. I just, you know, spend more time inside of myself thinking. I said, and would you say this to a male colleague, you know, or someone else if it wasn't me? So I tend to nip stuff in the bud. I have a reputation of that for all at all of my jobs. I mean, I don't necessarily think about repercussions because I don't do anything disrespectful, but I also don't let anything slide. Um, And I also, you know, give my colleagues that same courtesy. I'm not gonna be disrespectful towards them So I expect them not to be disrespectful towards me. And again, it could be the whole science thing, um, but I am very, I think for me, um, it it just, the the racism comes more at the the microaggressions. And at times I think sometimes people don't realize that they're doing it. And I think sometimes they do realize they're doing it. You know, you gotta, it's one of those things that I feel like a lot of African-Americans have to deal with. We have to code switch a lot. We have to present ourselves in a certain way when we're at work. And then when we're not at work, you know, we get to be who we authentically are. And I think, I think probably at the ripe age of 40, I decided that I'm not going to do that anymore. So I present my natural self at work. And I think sometimes it's a little shocking for people, but that's okay. You know, I'm glad you brought that up. Like at the age of, at the age of 40, you decided, nope, not doing it anymore. I'm getting to that point now. Honestly, you mentioned like the hair thing. And I think it's a wonderful movement that everybody's moving towards the natural hair thing. Um, the conversations coming back up with um, Cicely Tyson, you know, just passing away, but it's exhausting, you know, to put on all those masks on a regular basis. Do I straighten my hair? Do I speak like this? Do I show up like this? Do I wear less makeup? You know, and just things about your appearance that I feel like, you know, we as Black women have to tone down in our workspaces in general, regardless of where you are. But I did want to ask you guys one, two more questions. But this one, I really want to know just in the current racial climate, like how has that impacted your workspace? Like I'm an educator. So a lot of the, you know, social things come up in schools. And I just wonder like, how does that, 
affect your workplace now, like with the insurrection and the new incoming president and then with COVID and the negative impact on, you know, the black communities and this push to go back to school and the impact on, you know, black communities, just how does this current racial climate impact or come into your workplace, if at all? So it comes in a lot um, because I'm in the government affairs space. We are both work, you know, anything involving, you know, our president, our members of Congress, um, their staff is of interest. I mean, that's stuff we follow every day. I mean, I get notices and updates on a whole bunch of stuff related to our political environment all the time, because that's what I live and breathe in my current position. I will say that one of the things I appreciate working for a woman-owned firm is that my CEO has done an amazing job of talking about it. I was really, honestly, I was, not to say that I was shocked, but I'm, I'm just, I was shocked at the level of ways that my firm has brought that in. They brought in a diversity and inclusion coach um, to do some training. We're having discussions about those things. Um, we have a good divide in our office of, because we both do, we both have Democrats and Republicans that work in my office space. Um, there are some Republicans in my office who love Trump. There are some Republicans in my office who can't stand Trump. We have very interesting discussions about, you know, just what's going on in the country. And I think we're doing a good job of working through it, talking about it, and continuing to talk about it. It hasn't just passed because, you know, things are, you know, not showing up in the news as much anymore. But I think, and I'm praying that it will remain this way, that we'll continue to have an ongoing discussion about what this looks like, what this means for how our office is made up, because I'm honestly the only Black vice president in my office, male or female. So, you know, just looking within at our own diversity within our, you know, the office is been good too. So I'm, I'm hopeful. I won't say I'm completely convinced, but I am very hopeful that it's sinking in some reason, you know, last year finally sunk in for some people like that. This is an issue, even though it's been issues for centuries, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I think it, it finally, it took, that stuff happening for it to really sink into some people. And I think I'm hopeful that there'll be some changes. I was trying to do this interview without having to mention my company's name. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to, I have to say who my company is because I am so proud of what they did during this whole time. So I work for Comcast. They really stepped up and are continuing to step up to where I'm just so proud to be an employee for them. Um, I do agree with Shanta said that it, it kind of took everything that happened over the last year to, for it to really sink in. Um, so I feel like every corporation is behind the eight ball and are just catching up and realizing that we have an issue and we need to address it. So that's an issue in itself, but I'm just happy that people are now acknowledging it and they're stepping to the plate. And several things happened. You know, when everything happened, <clears throat> and it was really in the news about George Floyd, and I had colleagues that would call me literally and just like, how are you? Are you okay? And I greatly appreciated that. You know, I, I felt like people were genuinely 
concerned and reaching out and wanting to speak. And not only were they just checking on me, but they wanted to have a conversation about it. I will say that in my anger and my frustration, I ended up writing out a letter, sending it out to my whole team. <laughs> and I was just like, thank you for your calls, but call your cousins and your family members and tell them how sorry you feel about this and talk to them about this. Cause maybe if it came from you, they might change their perspective on this. And here's a laundry list of what you can do to help. Cause everyone keeps helping me, but that just sparked off more conversations. And that made me even more grateful to be part of that organization and part of my group internally that I was in because in the head of my department then reached out to me cause he ended up getting the letter too. And he wanted to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me and he wanted to really understand what I felt, why I felt that way, and what did I think really needed to be done to go forward. And I was able to tell him like, look, I can't come to work as my authentic self. You guys aren't ready for me to come to work as my authentic self. And I had explained the, you know, how we have to go through that and the fight that we're going through and having to come and show up and smile and work every day, knowing we're so angry and upset with everything that's going on in this world. Like George Floyd was not the first black man to be killed. There's been Trayvon Martin. There's just, I can go on and give you a list of hundreds. And he listened and he had the conversation with me. And then they didn't turn it down. Then they turned around and then they made a commitment. Comcast made a commitment of $100 million over the next three years to combat racism and injustice. And you're at first, you're like, oh, that's great. You know, that's fine. I'm really, you know, cool about that. But then they turn around and they start really making progress with that. You know, they said that they were going to, you know, step up and make sure that the digital equality um, was going to be addressed. And they reached out and they gave a lot of families that don't have internet or access to the internet the ability to have it and to increase, especially during this time, and to give it to some for free for a period of time while we're going through this pandemic. You know, we've had tons of awareness and education in our, our corporation, and they're really reaching out to small businesses and helping them. So enough about bragging on Comcast, but they I'm just I'm just proud of them doing that. And I'm seeing that a lot of other corporations are stepping up to it. But for me, I was blown away and surprised just by the compassion and the empathy and sympathy that people were really willing to step up and have that conversation and have those hard talks. As you were speaking, I said, yeah, you do have to kind of mention that because they have done a lot of great work. I see all the commercials now just about the digital divide in itself and me being in education, like that's super important because we have so many students right now who can't access school, who need access. I think it's the lift locations or something yeah. like that. But yeah, so I, I definitely wanted to um, get to that point. And I think it is important that we have the conversation and that the dialogue continues. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that your companies are, you know, starting in the conversations and having the conversations consistently because I think a lot of people's answer is to well if it's not me you know there was a I saw a tweet the other day that talked about Megan McCain had recently had a baby and now she believes that we need paid uh, maternity leave in the country but that wasn't the case before it happened to her so a lot of times people are only able to see things from their own lens and it's not like a black or white thing it's just human nature that we you know only can think about things from our own experiences. Which brings me to my last question for you ladies, the most valuable lesson that you learned in your journey 
towards where you are right now in your career, the most valuable lesson? I mean, I think I would say, and I hold this too, and it's not so much about um, just dealing with crazy people, but I had um, the pleasure of hearing um, Representative Elijah Cummings speak. He came and spoke to my MPH class when I was a student. And the one thing that he said that's kind of helped me like navigate my career and what positions I take is let your passion fuel your purpose. And I've kind of hung, I clung to that. So whenever I have a bad day or whenever I feel like I might've had a coworker be crazy um, or just have had, you know, just experience with a client that might've been nuts. I hold to that. And I try to keep that as my compass of making sure that every day I feel like the job that I'm doing is something that I'm completely passionate about, something that I feel like is helping me to fulfill my purpose of which I've always wanted to impact the health of communities. And, you know, I just try to navigate my career in that way. So it's led me on some windy paths, but I feel like as long as I keep to that and feel like I'm making a difference in the communities that I wish to serve, then it helps me deal with sometimes the crazy that you have with, you know, just being a black woman in the workspace. I think for me, the biggest thing that I've learned or lesson that I've learned in my career that's helped me is that you can't be distracted or allow things that are going on around you deter you from getting your job done and doing it well or having it making it an excuse for you not to be able to do your your job i learned it the hard way uh, i remember i got to a company another fortune 500 company and i had a lot of personal issues that were going on at that time and i just thought people would just understand like you know, break down and crying. I'm saying, I'm probably, you know, I'm having X, Y, Z issues. And it was kind of like, it's like the Jay-Z song, or I think he sampled, I think it was um, Goodfellas. I don't know what movie it was, but he had the guy talking. He was like, oh, your your apartment, your house um, burned down? Fuck you, pay me. Oh, this happened to you? Fuck you, pay me. And I realized work is the same way. Like, oh, you got shit going on in your personal life? fuck you, do the job. <laughs> oh, you're feeling sick? Oh, well, fuck you, do your job. And it was harsh reality to it. But once I realized that, you know, that's where we are and that's what I need to do, it's not actually a harsh reality. It's just reality. Like things could be happening, world could be falling down for me. But when I walk into those doors to get work done, I'm there, they're paying me to be there. They're paying me to do a good job. And I need to show up and do my job and do a good damn job while I'm there. And so learning how to balance that and to show up every time and to do my work and still deal with whatever may be happening and not allow it to distract me was one of the biggest lessons that I had to learn in my career that really helped in the long run. Look, thank you for closing on that one, though, because I clearly kind of need that lesson for myself right now. I'm like, man, we're in a pandemic. I'm losing my mind. The screen time is too much. But you're right. Like, I still got to get up and be present. Thank you ladies both for, you know, sharing your journey and sharing your, how you've managed to navigate these, these spaces. And it's interesting. I appreciate hearing you guys 
share your stories because oftentimes the burden of, you know, racism and, and facing adversity falls upon us to kind of fix because people look to us for the solutions. And honestly, the solutions have to come from a collective of work. It can't just come from us saying, hey, this is how you should treat me. It's like, no, you should first see us as humans so that you can treat us like you would treat everyone else. Did you guys have anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up? Because I'm going to wrap up with some of the lessons that you shared. If you had anything else you wanted to add before I close this out. HUs are the HBCUs are the best and we shouldn't be doubted. And, you know, I encourage everybody out there, if they ever have the opportunity to choose with college, to choose an HBCU because they are amazing and they prepare you and they bring the education level, the culture and family that you need to culture, cultivate you and move you forward. I agree. I mean, I'm still to this day close to my college advisor. I talk to him on a regular basis. He's helped me with every major decision um, I've made. I I can't trade that experience for the world. I mean, there's just something you get from HBCU that you don't get from, you know, other institutions. And I value it. Thank y'all for that. You know, that's why I show up to every episode repping Jackson State or somebody else's HBCU. That's my thing. Like I'm putting all the HBCUs on the map because like you ladies both said, um, we're all proud products of HBCUs. Um, and we definitely have the ability to do the same thing, if not better than anybody else. So y'all got to stop sleeping on us. I mean, shout out to Kamala Harris, um, our current vice president that just proves that HBCU students can do any and everything and better than anybody else. So I just wanted to close out with these few gems that the lady shared today. Some of the ways to establish yourself in these spaces to make sure to listen and observe first and let the people show you who they are, but prove that you're capable and let them know know that you are there for a reason make sure that your work backs you up as you're being bold um, in the moves that you make always let your work speak for it for itself and when things come up share that with the person if something comes up that's not right it doesn't feel right it doesn't sit right get with that person in a one-on-one -on -one and just let them know like hey this this thing that you said came across this way and i just wanted to you know, nip it before it gets too big. Make sure you find good mentors to help you sharpen your skills, find a sponsor, somebody who's gonna promote you and continue to keep up all of your networks, especially your HBCU network, all of your um, sorority, fraternity networks, community networks, all of the networks that you possibly can build them and know your voice. I think I summarized everything that you ladies shared. Thank you both so much. Chanta, do you want to talk a little bit about your blog that's coming and where people can follow you? I know you got a blog that you're working on. I definitely want to take time for you to plug that. Oh, thank you. Um, Yes, you can check me out. I blog about professional life, relationships, and food. Those are my three areas of uh, focus, especially for women. Um, If you're older on the first marriage kick like me, so I'm getting married this year, planning a wedding during a COVID pandemic, as well as being an older bride that's also going to be considering, you know, having a child potentially for the first time. Um, check me out there. And as far as professional life, just talking about just a lot about career transitions and preparing yourself. And it's called thiscosmolife.com. All right. 
Thank you. Um, and to all my ladies that are listening, if you need a mentor, like I'm also building this network of women so I can totally connect you with all of the women that we've talked to. Um, reach out to me. You can follow me at P. Michelle Podcast. Also, don't forget to follow my nonprofit where I give back to the community at PNP Helping Hands. Thank you to both my guests, Shanta and Tanya, for joining me today. You ladies going to have a wonderful evening and Thank you all. Please don't forget our affirmation for today. I am because we are, and we're all in this together. Y'all have a good evening.
then once I decided to switch my careers to move more towards health policy, um, I now find myself in a predominantly, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a probably a 50-50. So um, in some spaces, in some jobs I've held where it's been predominantly male in leadership, um, my current position um, is predominantly female, but white. Um, in leadership, um, but a lot of the folks that are up the same um, leadership level in the company, I'm a vice president, are, you know, white males. Um, however, um, I think for me, um, especially being new into the space that I work in, um, as well as um, having a unique background to other people that work at my um, firm, I, um, I'm like the only academic, um, the person who's academically trained, I'm the only one who has a PhD in my job. Um, and so that combined with also not being the traditional politico that's usually associated with a job like mine, I did the same. Hi everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to the P. Michelle podcast, To Be Young, Gifted, Black, and Female. Please head on over to Instagram and follow me at P. Michelle Podcast and follow my nonprofit at PNP Helping Hands. Thank you for taking this journey with me and I look forward to sharing more tips and tools to keep you sane and healthy.